0: You're listening to Novel Bound, a podcast dedicated to making you laugh and keeping you company. Each week, we're sharing all of our favorite books and the embarrassing side of life.
1: Welcome back to Novel Bound. I'm Anna. And I'm Celine. And today... Y'all, we have Mary E. Pearson on today to talk about her books, Dance of Thieves and Vow of Thieves, and we are so excited. Say hi Mary.
2: <laughs> hi, everyone. I'm excited too. <laughs> oh, this, this is gonna to be true.
0: Okay, before we proceed, this is a spoiler-filled episode. So oh, yeah. if you haven't read Bow of Thieves and Dance of Thieves, get out get out yeah you don't don't belong here i'm just kidding read the books and then come back we'll welcome you with loving arms but we just figured this is such a treat to have someone who literally wrote the books to be able to talk about things and to expand our understanding of the characters and Mm -hmm. the knowledge and stuff so we really want to make sure that everyone here just knows yeah all all the twists and turns oh yeah we're not holding (laughs) anything back so
2: now you know
1: it has been told the more you know yeah do you want to introduce mary Yeah, so uh, Mary Pearson is an international and New York Times bestselling and award-winning author of Dance of Thieves duology, The Remnant Chronicles Trilogy, The Jenna Fox Chronicles, The Miles Between, A Room on Lorelei, and Scribbler of Dreams. She writes from her home in California, but I don't think you're in California anymore, are you?
2: Yeah, no, I'm in California, Carlsbad, California. California. Yeah, okay.
0: For some reason, I think it was because you were in Arizona when we were talking that one time. And so I was like, oh, oh. Thank you for answering my enthusiastic um, Instagram DMs. Thank you. No one else dropping any. Oh, <laughs> I that's bad. right, I just- yeah. <laughs> I
2: was we like- were uh, vacationing uh, our very first trip out uh, post-pandemic oh, wow. pandemic uh, in Arizona. So that makes sense. That's cool. Yeah,
0: that's yeah. awesome.
2: So yeah, it was go ahead. Oh no, it was it was lovely. It was just very weird, you know, when you've been in a cave for so long to finally <laughs> get out and like, oh, how do I even greet people? I don't even know anymore.
1: <laughs> oh my gosh, yeah, I actually just went to a soccer game. Um, down. I live in Utah, and it was down in Salt Lake, and I was like, this is so weird. I am like surrounded by people. It mm-hmm. just felt so surreal, but it was kind of like nice in a way, just to yeah, have it some is normalcy back. Yeah.
0: I think mean, that's one of like the best things about books when like during all of last year to be able to read about books where people were like communicating just with each other and like things. out and like celebrating at festivals. I was like, this is the whole <laughs> I've got right now.
2: <laughs> I know. It was just like with the book I'm writing right now, sometimes when there's a whole crowd of people gathering, it's like, oh, you can't do that. Oh, yes, I can. It's a book. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> social distancing there's I want no and there's no means to love us. there's no social distancing no
1: six feet apart for them no no <laughs> our toxic favorite trope it's fine that's
0: who we are yeah. but we wanted to just like literally just talk about this series and stuff like that um but let's kind of like talk about what so obviously you wrote the remnant chronicles um right it's incredible what made you want to continue on that story and how did this story kind of find you we'd love for you to just introduce us into this world and stuff like that
2: well uh really when I was writing the remnant chronicles um one thing I love putting into books are little easter eggs foreshadowings little things that maybe some people get and some people don't and in the remnant chronicles there was a lot of little um tidbits about history where I was trying to reveal um, to the reader in a very subtle way, what this world was. And I think I was about maybe halfway through the heart of betrayal. And, you know, I there was lots of little places in this world that I thought of that held keys to the beginnings of this world. Um, and there was one in particular, just sort of out in the middle of nowhere, um, where I imagined, um, okay, since we're doing spoilers, I'll just say it. I know, you can come right Spoil, Mary, I, spoiler. <laughs> I imagined that maybe um, there was a place where the president of the United States escaped to um, or was trying to escape to. And, uh, you know, we do have all these... Um, underground bunkers mm-hmm. uh, across the country where, uh, you know, where, no matter where a president is, they can get to. But it, the in the Remnant Chronicles, you know, some cataclysmic event happens. And uh, I never say exactly, you know, quite what it is. That's up to the readers to decide. But uh, so I imagine that maybe there is this place somewhere in the country, um, like Hell's Mouth, uh, that had one of these underground bunkers that, you know, someone was trying to get to. And and that's sort of what, but that was never in the Remnant Chronicles. That never happened, but I still imagined it. So, uh, and then, you know, also thinking about, um, you know, when I was writing Venda, which is very much all about what Heart of Betrayal is, mm-hmm. uh, you know, we had a queen who, well, she wasn't queen yet who enters this world, but I imagine all these kids that were on the streets and I sort of showed them, you know, they're starving, they're hungry. And I kind of started imagining this girl, she didn't have a name yet, but uh, who was a a street thief trying to survive. And of course, thieving in you, there's very harsh consequences for thieving in this world and that somehow she manages. So anyhow, that's kind of, I, I didn't imagine, you know, as I understand both of you, write, And you know how there's lots of little threads that happen in your, in your head as you're writing. And you just have to let them go. You can't pursue them all. Yeah. And this was one of those. So I just thought, well, you know, um, maybe someday. And so the someday happened with Dance of thieves. You know, I was able to pursue this one little thread in my head that didn't let go.
1: Oh, I'm so glad you did. And I'm so glad you pursued that. And even just when you were talking about, like, dropping little Easter eggs, I was floored. Like, you did it so well, and especially, like, you get to the end of Vow of Thieves, and, like, you're uh, given this beautiful little bit of information about how, like, the, or it's Padre, how that name first came about, and they're like, because the little ones couldn't say president, and I was like, I freaking knew it! I knew it, like they were in a bunker. And it's just like such, it's like a treat to read all the little Easter eggs and like have like, you realize everything.
2: And that's what, exactly what I'm hoping that as the reader's going along, some of these things are starting to add up in their head. And Mm -hmm. then, you know, when they finally get to it, it's that I knew it moment, you know, it's not (laughs) like I'm not trying to throw something in your lap out of nowhere. You were getting those little clues so and that's fun for me just to you know that's part of the revision process too as you're writing you you think of ways to flesh out some of these things
1: yeah oh that's awesome so even just on along the lines of that um we had one of our followers ask um how many drafts do you go through until you feel satisfied that you're done or like you know as satisfied. oh
2: gosh you. you know it my process is very weird uh I tend to go back and revise a lot as I go. Um, So there's always this kind of molding process. Uh, But once I actually finish a draft, then I go back and I revise again. And probably, oh, (laughs) there's times where my editor has to pry the book away from me because I want to revise it (laughs) one more time. Give me that book. Um, so there's, there's never enough revisions. You can always, always make a book better, but, Mm -hmm. uh, I would say at least my book goes through five revisions. Um, and then of course the, the copy, the editor gets a crack, the, uh, Another editor gets a crack. I I usually have like a a copy editor who does a very, very thorough, um, you know, uh, edit on it. Mm -hmm. And then more copy editors, you know, get more cracks to try to find any typos, that kind of thing. So it goes through a lot. And uh, that's why, you know, one thing is you, sometimes you compare your own writing um to a finished book and that you just really can't do that because you know when you finish a draft you think oh this is crap and uh, but it hasn't been through all of those mm-hmm. other eyes yet so
1: that is so true
2: yeah
0: how do you kind of like find that courage I feel like it takes so much courage to one have it you know critiqued by multiple editors and not take that personally or having to like defend certain plot points but two have the courage to even keep writing when you feel that kind of like comparison of like oh this isn't as good as it like how do you, you know because obviously you've written yeah like, a lot of books
2: <laughs> so how do you do that and, and i still do that you know I, I look at it i go oh my gosh i've forgotten how to write this is really crappy <laughs> and then i realize, no you know just that's what revision is for it i love for me that is so much fun um and that's why i'm always kind of swirling back and forth through the manuscript Um, I cannot just go through... um, Sometimes, you know, I try to forge ahead, uh, but I think being very familiar with your character's motivations and what they have done in prior chapters, um, that way you're building on those motivations and you're not just going out in left field and they're doing something that's not characteristic for them. So uh, I think there is you know, some merit in reading, um, and if not actually revising as you go, at least key points. I don't revise, you know, like line edits and all that, you know, nitpicky stuff, but, you know, major pot, plot points and motivations. To me, made of character motivation is everything. They have to act in character. They can't do stupid things just because it fits the plot. I love that. because I agree with that so much. (laughs) Oh, good. (laughs) Yeah. That for me, that is sometimes you can see where, you know, in a story where the author is trying to, you know, fit a square peg in a round hole and it just doesn't fit. And it's very jarring.
1: Oh, so true. Oh my gosh, man. Yeah. I've definitely read a couple of books where I'm like, this feels so out of character. Like, this is coming out of left field right now what's happening
2: yeah and I think there's a a time for it's every now and then for a character to do something that surprises the reader Uh Um, maybe even surprises themselves but maybe it might just be something like speaking up you know in the remnant chronicles the character a lot of times would like um, blurt something out. And I'd say, you can't say that, but she did, you know, and I thought, like, okay, this is cool. I, I kind of <laughs> like it. Um, but, uh, you know, their, their heart's desire still has to remain true through the whole thing, what it is, you know, that really drives them, what is important to them. Um, even if they try different ways, uh, that are maybe not their usual, um, modus operandi, how they usually operate, um, they still have to be following their heart need so yeah
1: I love that all right you want to ask your question Celine I know I'm, I was
0: actually like this made me think so much about the relationship um you know between everybody like I think like you know Kazi and Jace's love is like I think this is actually a question that I did you write this or did one of our um, I wrote this yeah I loved it I just like I was just blown away by this question it says uh Kazi and Jace's love is so refreshing it was so frustrating in the first book they were not coming at all but in the second they were so trusting and honest with each other it was like writing their love what was it like writing their love story and did you pull inspiration from anywhere that is like I read this question from Anna and I was like that is exactly what I'm thinking about when I think about character (laughs) motivations and stuff Uh um find out that they were married like I love books where the couple like is married and they're working together because you don't get like that kind of partnership you can't just like have a fight and oh it's over you know what I mean like you have Mm -hmm. to work together and you stick it through and you have that trust and I, you could literally go off on that Mary forever we just love (laughs) to talk about their relationship and stuff like feel free to just like go off because I well I
2: I think you know they went through a very hard journey journey and um, I didn't want to, you know, when you have a second book, you think, oh well, what is the conflict going to be? Um, you know, I, 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 I knew what it would be, but I didn't want to undermine their relationship um, because, to me, to to undermine the point that they had reached would have just weakened yeah. their characters. They're strong characters yeah. and they're devoted, and we already saw in the first book, how loyal and devoted they are to their own causes. So, um, you know, I knew that they were loyal and devoted to each other once they made that commitment. So, uh, and for me, that was, um, that was fun. I didn't want to use their breakup as a plot point.
1: And I love, thank you for not doing that to us, first of all. (laughs) I love that they like, I mean, they go through all these events of the first book and they're like, both of them the whole time are like, I want to explore this further. Like, Jay's whole time is, what are we? we?" Uh, But they both have these, you know, secretive missions behind them where they're like, well, we have these other things that are right now a little bit more important that we have to figure out. I mean, of course it all comes to a head and it collides so horribly (laughs) and destructively. Amazing. (laughs) Well
2: done, well done, Mary. (laughs) Yeah, it was bad, you know, and those are the really fun scenes to write, um, you know, where everything just falls apart, and, uh, uh, you know, when I'm writing a book, of course, I have, you know, some key scenes in my head that I eventually want to get to, and I usually know the the end, or at least how I think it's going to end. But that was one of those, you know, when everything fell apart, that was one of those scenes in my head that i had had for so long. It's like, yes, I finally Ah! get to write it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's amazing. I love that. Do you wait a little bit before you, like the way it makes it sound is that you don't just like write all those scenes and then put them together. You kind of like wait until it's their time to shine. Is that kind of how you write?
2: Yeah, that that's pretty much how I do it. And it, you know, sometimes I may in a separate file, I, I'm very much a linear writer, mm-hmm. because I don't want to put it into the actual manuscript, because then I feel like I'm like stuck with it. Um, yeah. Like I'm trying, I'm trying too hard to get to that point. But if I put it like I, I have a little file just called scenes, you know, extra scenes. Mm-hmm. And so if it's in my head, and I have really good dialogue, because you know, if you get good dialogue, mm-hmm. you want to go with it. Um, I will write it down in these extra scenes yeah. and I know it's there and I can pull it, but usually I, it, by the time I get to the actual scene, I have to massage it and change it a little bit. Oh. Um, so, but this way I feel like it's, it's still very organic because I don't know exactly when it'll come in and sometimes it doesn't, you know, sometimes these scenes just, um, it just stays as backstory in my head.
0: Mary, does that mean that you have a you have deleted scenes from this from the series? <laughs> Can you share your deleted scenes? What? <laughs> i was
2: like, give it <laughs> all, all like, to Mary, me right are
0: now. You, it on this. Tell us right now. What's a deleted? What is the deleted scene that you wish that like you love? Um, I'm trying, I'm to,
2: trying to think if I have any. I would have to look in my my files because, oh my um, uh, but I, you know, if it is, it's it's something that's very small. It's not mm-hmm. like a, a an entire scene. Um, oh that's a good question. You know. Yeah.
0: You can get back to us on it no worries
2: like,
0: <laughs> <you just anxiously laughs> wait. i love that oh yeah i i was just so impressed by the way you did that also why was i weirdly attracted um how do you pronounce it montague how do you pronounce oh it? Montague. Montague.
2: montague. Yeah, montague
0: why was i weirdly attracted to him even though i was like you're evil and you kill babies and you're kind of the worst but like this tension though you
2: know what it's power you know i think there's a certain attraction (laughs) in in power powerful people and he definitely had some power but he was just like you know he was like a psycho (laughs) oh a total total psycho. selena was like are you really
1: attracted to him and i was like no i think that's just you (laughs) i think it's because whenever like an author
0: like puts these two people like oh they're gonna they might kiss i'm like but they might kiss (laughs)
2: yeah i know and that's the um you know, when I wrote uh, the, the the trilogy, the prior one, there were so many people who just loved um, the Komazar. And he was just like, he was evil. And, and yeah, I know. think they finally, when he finally, um, spoilers galore, when he finally killed Aster, mm-hmm. I thought this will put an end to it. No one's going to like him anymore <laughs> you know, because he, he was bad. And I think, you know, sometimes there's people who can be, you know, misunderstood, they can be bad. And, you know, all of us do bad things mm-hmm. that we regret. And I, I think it's fine for if you, you don't want a perfect character anyway, all of my yeah. characters are flawed. Um, but sometimes the, the bad boy trope can be, um, Toxic. I don't know, not not always healthy you know yeah. where where if the, you know there's a line that you can cross where you can be bad and redeemable or you can be just bad and abusive and the abusive the ones that go into the abusive territory i don't like
0: jace has always been fighting for you had to you had to you had to stick him with his siblings are you kidding me like that scene where he's <laughs> with his kids I'm like oh my gosh Mary of course we are gonna love him I was like really you're gonna stick him with little kids okay that's fine yeah okay build them a school whatever it's fine <laughs> like you yeah. really had some like blinking neon lights of like love him love
2: him, uh, he, love is a him. Good guy. <laughs> he was you know he was he was very much a well uh the it said more than once in there that, you know, protection runs in their blood and he's Mm -hmm. just very protective. And sometimes to the point where he's, um, you know, obstinate and pig headed, but, um, you know, that's, that's also a good thing that he's, um, he is so protective and that includes, you know, his family and children, you know, he has a soft spot for him.
1: Yeah. So true. Oh, I love that. Actually, even along that lines, um, what like, so can you tell us a little bit about the dynamic of the Ballinger family and kind of like how fun it was to write about them um, and did you find inspiration from anyone such anywhere?
2: Well it, it was really fun it was challenging though you know when I first started out writing um, I, I remember getting some advice that said you know don't have any more than you know um, four or five you know main speaking characters and Uh, because it's hard to juggle them all well uh you know he had I've already forgotten what 11 people in his family so many and and you get them all in one room and I thought how am I going to juggle all these people you know what have I gotten myself into and so I really had to give them all very distinctive traits so that because as a reader you know I can get confused who is who And so I tried to give each one, you know, a distinctive trait. Of course, Jelaine is the one that's in love with love and is hoping Mm -hmm. that there's going to be little Ballinger babies. And, um, and Aram and Samuel are, are, you know, identical twins and Gunner's the loud mouth and, Mm -hmm. um, uh, and Titus is more, you know, the quiet, but, um, devoted, um, brother and, So they all had their own little traits and things that they said, and um, and the mother was, you know, of course, she was a little easier to delineate. Um, But I loved the idea of, you know, we don't necessarily see big families in Mm -hmm. in books, and that they they are a family that sticks together, and even when they, you know. I come from, you know, a medium-sized family, but, you know, when all the extended family gets together, it's chaos, and uh, it's, and we have our squabbles and things, you know, where we don't get along, but we always still come back together, and I kind of wanted to portray that in a story, so, and it was a direct contrast to Kazzie, who had nobody, yeah. except found family. She had ran in Sinove. hmm
1: you love good founding. And you did such a good job too. Like i I mean it took a little bit, but once I learned the characters, I I like remembered them. I knew them. They all had their own personality. In fact, it was so cool. Yeah. When she was
0: when they're having that like final dinner together and they're all like, you know, leading the table or whatever. You by that be. point you knew and you felt everyone's feelings. And so when like she's standing there, like confronting all of them, you could feel from each of those members like their feelings you know and in your heart was just breaking for all of them so like that's yeah. so only have us know these family members but know them well enough that you can feel how each of them would react to Kazi. Yeah.
2: Yeah and just how um, they um Kristen you know you get into Vow of Thieves and you see them you know also reacting oh, to yeah. what Freaking Cassie's savage. done and yeah yeah I mean they're you know um they are going to defend their family and their town to the last degree so yeah
1: Yeah. so what was that like to like I mean Cassie is in the thick of it she is hurt so bad she has spent days trying to find them she finally escapes the king and to come across the Ballinger family just for them to be like you stole our brother like you think that we're gonna take you into our arms and believe anything you have to say and oh my gosh I just remember reading they put her into that trap and then like called for the guards and left her and I was oh. like they did not they did not know <laughs> like yeah, the- I know it's just like the
2: worst possible thing that could happen but you know from their perspective they saw her um you know up on that podium saying that you know um Jace was dead and the last thing they had saw was her hauling him off so yeah. you know I can i try to go back back and forth so that you can see that their motivations were not you know totally evil they're hurt and angry and yeah how, how could they know that she was um you know even when she says you know i love jace you know they aren't gonna believe her
1: yeah which is so true to character
2: yeah. Oh, yeah so true to
0: character until like i think like Gunnar was like the best example of like a really good person who kept causing more drama for everyone. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> he's like a villain, but he's actually a really good person. That I always just like he's such a catalyst for like so many things. So like, many things. shut up. And like yeah, gonna- exactly.
2: <laughs> he's the he's the brother. He's the family member that you have to watch out for who will just blurt things out and get everybody into trouble. And mm-hmm. um. You know he's, but he's still devoted to his family. He's just sometimes doesn't use the best judgment. So true. You you know who that is. You know that's that cousin that comes to the family gathering or whatever. Oh, yeah. So we all we all know.
1: <laughs> oh yeah, and even kind of like along that same line, was there a favorite character for you to write about, or someone who had like your favorite backstory?
2: Oh boy. Um, you know, I think one thing that was a surprise for me, you know, you always plan the, you spend a lot of time in the heads of the main characters and the secondary characters sort of creep into the story and you hear their voices and use, you, you know, start getting to know them. Mm-hmm. Um, but Red and Sinove really, um, took me by surprise i fell in love with them so much and just the way that they were they were so broken and so um you know they had had as much bad stuff happen to them as Cassie had and you know we didn't necessarily get to explore their backstories in as much depth but um how they clung to each other and Mm -hmm. you know the sisterhood that they had um yeah, I loved writing their stories. That was, um, uh, that was one of the the joys of the book. So it's usually, I mean, I always love, obviously, the main characters, because that's who I spend the most time mm-hmm. in their heads. But the secondary characters that surprise me, those are really fun.
1: Yeah. And they were so unapologetically themselves, too. Like, especially, oh, yeah. like, she was like, this is who I am and I like boys and I'm gonna chase some men around but like I'm not gonna be sorry about it and I'm still gonna be a strong like warrior girl
2: just gonna exactly. casually <laughs> yeah, that that was my favorite scene to write honestly oh when she was so satisfying Go on, When there, she tell was about it <laughs> uh, well and there was another thing where I had these you know little um so that it is satisfying when you get to it. I start planting the things where she's you know kills the antelope and um and as we're working up to it she is just so and she has these gloves that the queen gave her you know for archery and she's never used them and because they're just so pristine and perfect Mm -hmm. but for this day she pulls them out and you know taunt, and she's been taunting him and taunting her um what was his name bear bar oh I forgot I think it was like um, bar or
1: something like that
2: yeah she's been taunting him so that he will run at the point when she she finally tells him just go oh, I promise I I won't you know kill you <laughs> <laughs> um, well she won't but um you know she knows the technicality of the law and, and mm-hmm. what the queen has sent her to do and um and just how she tests the air and she's taking her time and grizz is like freaking out like do something do something as he's riding away um and it just showed i I loved being able to show her her absolute the absolute depth of her um rage at this guy Mm -hmm. um and but how much she was enjoying um what she was going to do which was you know um have antelope blood just spill all over him so that he's these prey for um, one of the, and I forgot their names too. I'm in the middle of another book, by <laughs> the way. So you're I have, fine, other, fine. I have just, all these other
0: things world. in
2: <laughs> my head, but the, you know, the the giant birds that come down yeah. and Oof, eat him up. <laughs> Am I wrong by saying that? I don't... Am I
0: like thinking of another book? Oh,
2: well, the Valsprey were the messenger birds. So it wasn't a Valsprey. Mm-hmm. Um, it was something else. That...
0: Oh, good. You're fine, Mary. You're okay. Yeah. We'll, we'll, have, we'll just like someone
2: will like, tell okay. us. <laughs> oh,
1: <laughs> right. Yeah, someone will definitely tell us. Like, excuse me, I read this yesterday. Here we go. <laughs> but yeah, that scene was so, so fun. Just like the way that she just took her time about it, and she's like, "I won't, I won't kill you," and she just lets him right away, and then she just pulls her bowstring back and like angles it up and just like lets it go. <laughs> yeah, it was fun. Yeah. Oh, it, it was beautiful. Was, It was absolutely beautiful.
0: We loved every second of it. We were just like, I think that was like my favorite scene. I, to, to like listen to, or well, to read and listen to, I got both books because (laughs) basically what happened was, is Anna texts us and texted me and she's like, I'm reading Dance of Thieves. You have to read it right now. And I was like, I'm on vacation. I have to drive 10 hours, but I'll download the audiobook." And I was like, okay, I'm getting through it as quickly as I can. But then I like had to get the physical book because like, she's like, no, it's different when you read it. And Oh my gosh i'm so glad i did but um Mm -hmm. okay so one of my favorite parts was okay there's a lot of my favorite parts can you like scream about our favorite parts for like five seconds with you and like
2: absolutely i love that
0: um (laughs) i really love the way that you wrote uh them dancing like i just thought that was really powerful like the Mm -hmm. way that they would have those moments I'm so glad you gave them a lot of time to build a relationship naturally in the woods. Mm-hmm. It was not like they were there for like three days and they fell in love. It was like two weeks and they really had to rely on each other. That scene where he's like has his hand over her mouth and he's on top of her and oh, they're God. literally three feet up. Like they have to be three feet apart. Uh-huh. Like yeah. And like, Anna,
1: you're cool. feeling it too. <laughs> there are so many scenes that I just was like
2: wow you're doing me in, Mary.
1: <laughs> oh my
2: gosh. Yeah. Do- I- Go ahead. It was funny because, um, you know, there are certain technicalities that you have to address um, when people are three feet apart and they're going to be three-part, you know, obviously they're going to have to pee. And, you know, I had that Love scene that. where she she has, she has tells them to turn her head so she can pee. And my editor said, do we really want to have her um, doing that? You know, is that? And I said, you know what? It's going to be in everybody's head. If I get it out of the way this <laughs> one time, Um, they'll know that, yes, they do pee and whatever they have to do, they just have to turn their heads. And uh, But if it's not addressed, you wonder about it.
1: So true. That's so, because I remember reading that being like, wow, she's giving us all the answers right now.
0: (laughs) I love it. Oh my gosh. And what I really loved talking about, um, actually, I have like a big question for you about Cassie and ghosts. So you write a lot that she sees ghosts and she sees death and all those things. And I just want to know from you as an author, like, what does that mean? Does she actually see ghosts? And like, cause you write it so, you write very lyrically. It's one of the most, one of my favorite things about Mm -hmm. your writing is it's very lyrical. And um, sometimes I like, I just was like, okay, so is she seeing ghosts? Is she physically seeing ghosts? Is she interacting like that? I just would love to know how, like that aspect of Cassie's life, you could explore that for me. Well,
2: I think, you know, when I I wrote it, um, I wanted it to be, Something where you do wonder where you're thinking, is she actually seeing um this, you know, death? Is she actually seeing him? Or is this like a, a a metaphor for her life and what she has been through? Um, but I I it really was um hmm, how do I say this? I think she actually did. I mean, yes, yeah, she did see him um but it might have just been one of those things where all of us in our own life um there are things that are custom made magic that's custom mm-hmm. made just for us oh yeah and this was her the magic that she knew and part of it yeah. is i also wanted to convey um the connection of a mother to a child and what the mother you know, maybe the rest of us don't see death, but this mother wrangled death Mm -hmm. into keeping her child alive. And, you know, there's nothing I, I think that shows a mother's love as much as, you know, reaching from the grave to try to keep her child, you know, alive in a really harsh world. And that was another one of my, I mean, I still will almost cry when I read it or think about it. Um at the end of vow of thieves when they are, you know, they just had their wedding and they're looking Mm -hmm. out at all the guests and at (laughs) see, I'm getting all choked up at the very (laughs) end. She looks out and she sees her mother walking with death and the two of them are arm in arm and her mother's wearing the the crown of grass that she wove for her. And, uh, um, and you know that you know the mother is finally going to be at peace she knows Mm -hmm. that her daughter is safe and her mother can finally let go and walk away and and she is she walks away with death so that's kind of the um so it it is that I I think she really did see them but it's not necessarily something everybody in that world can see this Mm -hmm. was just the connection between her and her mother and her mother's you know tremendous love for her
0: yeah what a beautiful allegory that you made physical so that we could understand that sentiment you know physically rather than just her thoughts being like oh yeah I feel like my mom would be proud of me now you know what I mean like yeah yeah to bring that to reality and fruition to, like I'm really impressed with that so
2: well thank you <laughs> that, those were scenes that really you know really touched me so well it was definitely beautiful so
1: we're glad that you wrote them out.
2: <laughs> well, I think the parent-child relationship, you know, there's a lot of that with, even throughout the story with Jace hearing the things that his father said, and mm-hmm. of course we never really get to know the father, he's, you know, dead from page one, but um, just all the ways that his father influenced him and, um, the, you know, you hear the, the, his father, the ghost of his words speaking to Jace throughout it, and Sometimes it's pressures, sometimes it's encouragement, but um, just how we are, we carry a lot of ghosts with us, all of us do, and those little voices that kind of prod us forward.
0: Oh yeah, and I love your commentary on PTSD, like how she, like especially, and the way that Jace helped her with her PTSD, I just think it was so beautiful, the way that like he helped her overcome so many things through that. It was so delicate, it was such an Mm -hmm. incredible commentary
2: yeah you know it's one of those things where you know she really prided herself on being so strong and and um uh invincible but this was something that was you know she couldn't quite shake it uh and you know it's just you know a a trauma that just stayed with her and um yeah and I thought I I I really liked that Jace um you know got tuned into that pretty quick that there is something that was you know she was struggling with mm. and even though she wouldn't quite share it with him until later but uh he I found you know
1: it so fun that like all the lies that she would tell him about who her parents were where she was from and he was like i know that this girl is lying to me i can i know yeah. that you're lying to me everything you're saying he's like but i'll you know what all in your time when you're ready yeah to tell you, you will. <laughs>
2: Yeah, yeah, he, he was not fooled, so, um, yeah, it, it, it's, and part of that is just, like, the, um, I think Cassie was just, uh, you know, it's one of those really traumatic things that sometimes you just don't want to share with people, her, even her, Ren, and Senove, it was, like, one of those things that they hardly ever talked about, you know, their parents dying, um, and, Uh, because it was just um yeah those are huge traumas in their life and they're trying to put them behind them so
1: yeah so true um so even kind of similar to that just jace was every night like tell me a riddle Kazi. Kazi, tell me a riddle and so was it what was it like coming up with the riddles that
2: Kazi told they were really fun you know um it was uh you know Some of them were really hard yeah. and, but, you know, it started out with, um, you know, fairly easy ones like the moon, you know, and, um, it was, uh, trying to find the right moment for why she would come up with a riddle for a certain one. Like Mm -hmm. when they were walking across the desert sands and she's talking about being hungry, you know, that's, that's foremost in both of their minds so I thought well that would be a good riddle to do is something about hunger um uh, gnawing at her stomach and all of those things so um yeah they were they were fun usually I'd come up with the answer and then I'd think of all the different ways that you could kind of try to describe it and then find ways to make it rhyme and um so that was fun
0: yeah what was your favorite one out of all of the riddles
2: Oh gosh, um, hmm, that's a hard question. I would say, you know, the one that kind of sticks out in my mind, maybe because it was the last one I wrote. Well, I like the one of of um, where Jace had to. He's going, oh, I got to come up with a riddle. This is going to be hard. <laughs> it was harder than he thought, and you know, she kind of poo pooed his first attempt, which was really really bad. Um, so I really appreciated his attempt at um uh you know his riddle which in the answer of course is heart and I realized you know I never gave the answers away to the readers so I realized some of these they may not have gotten um but one yeah it's sort of like some get it and some don't and um the one at the very end where Cassie is um looking around and seeing the camp you know the settlement being built and all all the things that are happening in and uh and her riddle is about hope and of course uh mustafir who asked her for a riddle um uh knew what the answer was so you know mm-hmm. she's talking describing hope so anyhow did you have a favorite one? <laughs>
0: oh gosh i loved personally the first one because it was just like your first kind of taste into what you know who she is yeah even like the way you described the juggling of oranges was so cool and amazing there's I love the way that um like it takes a smart author to write like smart you know what I mean it doesn't just come from like her so like I'm like oh she's smart so Mary must be like very smart (laughs) um research research (laughs) and I guess you have time you don't have to like think about it right in that moment you know like they do right Um, right No, I just wanted to say too, like, I love the parallel with the knife to the throat. Like when they first meet and she's like, his pretty neck. And then I love at the end of the book when she's like stealing the fugitive and takes Jace and she has the knife to the throat. But this time, like, I love the way it was pointed out. Will you, will he let you? And yeah,
2: yeah. I
0: love to just, I just that was just something that I just thought was really powerful. And I know we joked about it a lot in our recap. So what about like? (laughs) (laughs) pretty neck or whatever but um like do you think do you think she meant it was really pretty but I just think like I just love that that dynamic relationship and I mean you feel free to talk about it I just wanted to compliment you on it it was beautiful
2: oh well thank you yeah I mean it started out I mean obviously she was being very sarcastic like you know hey pretty boy um like Uh he thinks he's really (laughs) he's really something and she doesn't think he is at all and um so yeah definitely definite sarcasm there so uh and then they both play off that as the story goes perfect.
1: Even I, mean, I was like it's so fun to read because like you you're told and shown so many times that like Jace is a very capable a strong man but just the way he goes about addressing like issues especially with Cassie like it's never just like a brute show of strength or force like i just thought that was so clever that like he he is very capable and strong but at the same time like he's very smart and willing to work things out like with words and
2: yeah right yeah there's there's never a time where um uh i i don't like it when yeah in that kind of love situation where brute force comes into start mm-hmm. into play unless it, they're you're saving somebody that's a yeah. little different but yeah. not in terms of trying to um, make somebody do what you want them to do and that never flies for me so um yeah he and luckily he was smart enough smart enough not to do that yeah Oh yeah. Because no it, you're, you're not changing anybody's mind you're only you know physically you know yeah. doing something mm-hmm. but so Yeah. Um, And so then just another
1: question, one of our followers, and I have this like kind of a two-parter because I have a thought on this and I want you to tell me. (laughs) Is anything going to happen with the stardust? Um, And I just wanted to say like, along with the stardust, I thought that that was so beautiful, the way that you got rid of it in such a natural way that like the crow found it and then lifted it up and it was like falling out, like trailing as it was flying away. So like nothing could become of it. Um, But that is still a question. So like, Is possibly anything going to happen with the Stardust?
2: Well, I, you know, one thing I just really wanted to show with that is that, um, you know, once you've let the the genie out of a bottle, um, it, you can never, things never can go quite back to the way they Mm -hmm. were. And um, they may be going on with their life, but those, there are repercussions that will always be, be felt Um, perhaps in a later book I don't know (laughs) I don't know if I will you know go that route but um, it was mostly just to show that um, there's always um, you know it's like the butterfly effect Um, one little thing happens and um, it can lead to something else to something else to something else so who knows what that something else could be (laughs)
0: Mm -hmm, Um, you have um are you going to be doing any more books in this world still
2: or I do have one in particular that I've always wanted to do and uh I'm not working on it right now I'm working on an entirely different world I felt like I needed to cleanse my palate a little bit and you know stretch some of my creative um bones a little bit yeah and and do something that i wasn't comfortable with and that's what i'm yeah. working on right now i think all you always have to sort of push yeah. yourself in yeah. uncomfortable ways and push your boundaries yeah. uh but there is a a story and just between us <laughs> <and> um, <homelessness. laughs> that i would i would love to do because i loved building this world it was yeah. so much fun to imagine yeah and you know what some people may not know, it is a post-apocalyptic world, and what um, what could happen if only a very small uh, surviving amount of people um, had to pass along culture. And think of this. And, and I, I this happened one time when I was um, having a uh, we we're having a powder out power outage. Uh-huh. And it was one of our longer ones. We don't have them very often where I live. And it was maybe 12 hours. And 12 hours, the power still wasn't back on. I thought, what if it never came back on? What would we do? Yeah. I don't even know how to make a battery. I don't know how to do oh anything. Yeah. <laughs> That's so true. You know, I am not a survivalist. What would we do? And and that kind of, you know, the writer mind, how it, you know, tumbles in directions. And I just thought, um, you know, how much could any of us, less assuming that, you know, the smartest of us didn't survive. We're not talking about, you know, scientists and engineers and all these people who know how to do things. What if just a random amount of us survived some cataclysmic thing? And, you know, a child to them, and I talk about this, you know, in the Remnant Chronicles, Mm -hmm. you know, the idea of flipping on a a switch and light fills a room, you know, if they've never seen it, how do you explain it to a child, you know? And so that's kind of where a lot of that, you know, this world came from. Um, uh, and the grandmother was telling the child, trying to explain it to her in, in gentler terms, like in a fairy tale. And that is some somehow how these cultures um, grew with princes and princesses and that sort of thing. So anyhow trying to I've thought about going back and doing a book where the um showing the the cataclysmic event that made all this happen so my
1: gosh that'd be so interesting yeah I'm I'm like count me in right now (laughs) pre-ordering right now let's go Mary
0: But talking about um what kind of we'd just love to end with you just discussing like you said that a couple of times you've been working on this new book. Mm-hmm. Um I know obviously there's only so much you can say, but we just love to know what books you have in the works, how we can support you, where we can follow you, oh, and how we can love you up even more.
2: That that's so sweet. Um well one thing is you know, I just one thing that is so supportive is just hearing from readers and oh. um how things Um, you know, I love hearing all the different ways that a book speaks to somebody and it's, and there's a million different ways, you know, some little one little page or paragraph that seems inconsequential speaks to that reader. And that's what is to me, it just fills me with um, joy to get right back to the um, keyboard because, you know, it's not my book anymore. It's their book and they are making it come. To life in different ways. So that's one of the ways, you know, I love hearing from readers and uh, uh, the book that I'm writing right now, I really can't share about it. I haven't told anybody what it's about, but it's involved a lot of research and um, just, it, it, it is fantasy and there is romance in it. Um, awesome. Of course. And, uh, but it's, you know a completely different world and there is magic in it too so um anyhow so that's you know what what that is and the main place if you know people want to come by for updates the main place i hang out is instagram and uh yeah so that's that's that
1: i will definitely be keeping my eyes open for any update about that i'm like romance (laughs) magic Fantasy, yes. Done. Mary Pearson,
0: yes, yes. We're here.
1: right now. <laughs> um,
0: and you guys can find her at, on Instagram at Mary E Pearson. So N A R Y E P E A R S O N. So if you guys want to know more and follow her and support her, I mean, seriously, like this woman,
2: Incredible. the world. She has uh. great. oh you guys are so sweet thank you this has been so much fun yeah Yeah, thanks for coming on and
1: talking with us and answering our questions and just letting us fangirl to you about like your amazing books (laughs) I've already
0: learned so much from you just from like sitting here I'm like wow
1: oh my gosh, it's all
0: an allegory for how to, how to <laughs> her, her mother, like, let, I was just like, okay, Celine, getting a little deep in your feelings right now, let it go, <laughs> but anyway, thank you very, and we'll talk to you soon, maybe we'll uh, have you on when we, when you're yeah, next. Okay, just kind of okay,
2: that would be awesome, all you're right, welcome. thank you guys, bye, have fun, yes, take you, care. Bye. <laughs>